So this retreat is, uh, will be ending formally tomorrow. <clears throat> and uh, it's always an interesting time, the end of a retreat. And really, because um, the retreats uh, get made up Right, I hope you all understand that. Like we made this up, right? We all came together and we said, okay, we're gonna go to retreat. And we, we had a theme, we made up the theme. You know, I mean, we, we, we took it from Buddhism, but most retreats aren't Maranasati retreats. And they have other themes or they have no theme. They're just Vipassana retreats. But they're just, we just make them up together. And I don't mean that in a denigrating way at all, but it points to something about reality. Is, um, oh here, maybe I could say it this way. Uh, one time I was teaching something and I was talking with one of my, one of my teachers, one of my original teachers, Joseph Goldstein, and uh, I was telling him something about this retreat I was teaching, and you know, it was about love. And uh, he said, "Oh, is you know?" I said, "Where did you get that material?" And I said, "Oh, I just made it up." Well, he said, "Well, we always just make it up, but where did you get the material?" <laughs> and and he was being very accurate because it's not like. Maranasati is taught in Buddhism and it's part of the practice and it's an important part and it's, I think, incredibly valuable. And the, the contemplation of death and the appreciation of life are, are in Buddhism. But still, we, we're making up the teaching as we go. And actually, Buddhism keeps making itself up and has for 2,600 years as far as I can tell, because it's changed in every culture it's gone to, in every country it's gone to, because it's alive in the moment. It's not 2,600 years old. It's actually right now. And I, I think that's one of the beautiful things about what it means to wake up a bit to what's true, is the truth is right here. It's, it's, it, I mean, this is the only moment there is, right? Is that true or not? And, you know, you could tell me if I'm wrong, really, but as far as I can tell, this is it. And it's why in Zen they like to use that phrase. They say, oh yeah, what's the teaching? This is it. Because this is it. Honey, I, sometimes people ask me to um, officiate in weddings, and I don't do that much these days, but I'll do it for somebody I'm really friends with. And, uh, and I did it, I officiate, I co-officiated a wedding uh, for friends of mine and, uh, who were in the diamond approach. And, uh, and they're both very, you know, beautiful people, and they were 
being bonded, you know, and um, and so when I got up to do my little, you know, ministerly, you know, encouragement about being married, and I said to them, I said, "This is it. You're getting married. It's for real." Because most of us, it not most, sometimes it takes many of us years to realize we're married, even after we got married. You know, because it's not, it's, it happens in a moment. And often it lands very fully later. And that's true in retreat too. Like the retreat happened, like the retreat's gone for the most part, right? Everybody got that? It's not, you know, we've got another, you know, half day tomorrow and tonight, and, but the retreat will be over. But it's not done, because it will live in you. And we don't know how it will live in you. It's somewhat um, magical and mysterious how retreats happen, because I've sat many, many retreats. And, you know, I think I know a little bit about retreats and sitting retreats. And I'm, you know, I'm a good yogi and all that stuff. But but I'm always surprised at how in the moment it's one thing and then there's a new moment. And then, oh, here's what really happened. Here's what I really discovered on the retreat three weeks later, right? But I didn't discover it three weeks before something else happened that seeded, nourished, nurtured something more awakening or discovering or realizing about what's true. And I, um, one of the things I discovered as I sat down is I... I forgot to put a whole piece in here that I wanted to read to you. So um, things are new all the time. So I'll just, I'll describe it to you. It was from Bhante Gunaratna, who, uh, he's written a lot of books about mindfulness. And he writes a very interesting piece that I have that I left in my room when I, from preparing. And it's about uh, the law of change, anicca, right? We talked about that, anicca, that everything changes. And, and, but he, what he says, which I haven't seen a lot in Buddhism, but it's there. He says, in addition to the law of change, of everything arising and passing, every, there's a corollary law called the law of becoming. Everything is arising and passing, and becoming something else. And that's a beautiful understanding of life. Everything is arising and passing, changing. And it doesn't stay the same, but it's also becoming something else. And that's true of each of us here. Whoever we were a week ago, when we got here, we were here and that was us and things have arisen and changed and you are, have been becoming someone else. 
And this is an ongoing dialectic, the law of change and the law of becoming. And it's always interesting to me how some things get more emphasized in Buddhism and some things a little less. Like dukkha, that gets emphasized, right? Everybody knows dukkha, right? Sukha doesn't get so emphasized, but it's the corollary to dukkha, right? Dukkha is suffering and dis-ease and and, and sukha is what's good and beautiful and wonderful. And they have a relationship. It's not one or the other, it's both. It's just like everything's arising and passing and everything's also becoming something else. And I don't think I have to convince you about that just because, just look at your own life. Remember when you were somebody else? And now you're who you are now. And that's going to be, you're going to become someone else still. Because life is dynamic. It's not static. I believe I said that earlier. Did I say that earlier? Yeah? Yeah, I like that. Mm. And so we've been contemplating death and appreciating being alive, right? Again, the movement, the dynamism of reality are both true. And death is talked about many different ways, you know, because we've been talking about it physically, but we can also talk about it um, in, in any situation, somebody wrote me a note about grief and, you know, about not just grieving physical death, but other things. And it's like, of course, because things die, not just people. Our identities die or change, become something else. What we do at times dies or ends and we miss it. You know, I used to love being a musician. I mean, I loved it very much. Practicing eight hours a day and playing at night and really fun, but but it died. Even I was sad, it wasn't like I, I wanted it to die. But it's normal that things arise, pass, change, become something else. And we are becoming, that aliveness is sitting in each seat of becoming something else. Really what I want to say is something more. It's more than what we know. Mm. And one of my understandings and practice is about that we're becoming real. And in these kind of retreats, especially that have a Sangha practice component like the inquiry, it's a lot about learning how to be real together, which is very difficult for human beings. We're as a, as a 
species, we're still learning how to be real together, how to be human together, how to be kind together, how to be wise with all of us, whatever country you're from or whatever nationality you're from or whatever race you're from or whatever religion you're from or whatever economic status you have or whatever educational status you have or whatever. It's all about us being here together and that we're still learning. We're still becoming real together and learning how to live that way in a way that, in my mind, heart, commonsensical. This is from a woman named Tubden Chodron. Tubden Chodron, who said, many people have the misconception that spiritual life or religious life is somewhere up there in the sky an ethereal or mystical reality, and that our everyday life is too mundane and not so nice. Often people think that to be a spiritual person we must ignore and neglect our everyday life and go into another special realm. To me, being a spiritual person means becoming a real human being. That's, to me, that's just great teaching. And I like Tubden Chodron. And I also like to say her original name, which was Cheryl Green. American Tibetan nun. She's, you know, practiced very diligently and so now has a different name. But, but I, like, I always like to hear the original name too. Because it's something about being a real human being. It makes it more real to most of us. Not when I give you a Tibetan name, which sounds a little exalted, at least to my ears as a, as a practitioner. But Cheryl, oh yeah, I know people named Cheryl. And, <laughs> you know, and, and they can become incredibly wise like this woman has become. And so part of becoming a real human being, one of the components that Buddhism talks about, and I, um, I like to expand, I want, I'm wanting to expand it into Buddhism more, is gratitude. And I, I think of gratitude as the fifth Brahma-Vihara. The Brahma-Viharas are, are, you know, metta. They're the buildings you live in are the Brahma-Viharas. Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka, right? Of, of loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity. And gratitude just makes sense to me. It's a heart quality. And it's such a beautiful part of what it is for us as human beings that we can be grateful or full of greatness, gratefulness. I just love that. And one of my teachers, Hamid Ali, he said once to, to some of the students, he said, when we're grateful, we're in touch with reality. 
When we're grateful, we're in touch with reality. And when I hear that, it took, took me at first, I had to really sit with it a little, like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And there's a plenty of whatabouts, really, and plenty of things I'm not happy about. But I'm grateful for all that's given, right? Which, in the simplest terms, is life is given, right? You don't go to Costco to buy life, right? Isn't it wild that we're alive? This is not a traditional Buddhist teaching, but a very Eugene way to say this, but really it's just wild that we're here, really. And that we even, and I do this once, and I say this, you might have heard me say that even that I can say something and you have some idea what I'm trying to say. I mean, isn't that wild? Because I could, I could, you know, say it differently. You might not know if I were to, because I too, and then banda kanti, nada. Ah, tetsum funda, tetsum one. So, and and yet you also get something even when I do that. And and it's pointing at something magical about human beings and consciousness and what actually is communication, which is just by being together, there's this aliveness that is, I don't even know, I want to say trans, not transferable, that's not the right way to say it, but it's, it's knowable. We can know each other. And it's just like sometimes you walk in a room and you know how somebody's feeling and they're not saying a word, but it's like it could be they're having a really hard time or they're really angry or they're really happy. And you know it and they haven't said a word to you. How does that get transferred? Because there's something that connects us more deeply than we know. And so the appreciation, the gratitude for life itself. You know, there is a, a great, uh, I don't, I'm trying to remember who said this, just to be alive is enough. It could, it could have been Suzuki Roshi, just to be alive is enough. And that's such, that's a that's profound teaching. Because mostly we always think, oh, we need more. It's got to be a little bit, more this way or that way or the other way. And that's very normal. I don't want to say that, that anybody should feel bad about having those feelings, because I have those feelings. Uh, you know, especially if you're driving in San Francisco and I think you're a bad driver. <laughs> I have my opinions about stuff. I want things different. But, but still, just to be alive is enough. Mm. And in Zen, one of the ways they talk about awakening and how to get awakened is so simple and so direct. They say, be yourself. Just that. They don't stop there, but I think just that is great. Be yourself all the way to the end. Be yourself all the way to the end. And then you can contemplate what that means to be yourself all the way to the end. But it means being true, being yourself all the way to the end. 
even if it's, even if it's to the end of self. Be yourself all the way to the end. And then something reveals itself that's innate in human beings that the Buddha pointed at that he called awakening or freedom or gets talked about as Buddha nature sometimes. And so just being grateful to be here. And I know you, you all didn't just have a great time every moment of this retreat, right? That's normal. But even the fact that we're here and we have the great good fortune somehow to be here, you know, whatever, for whatever reason that there's somehow there's a time, space, means, luck, good fortune, support from family, friends, community. It's said that Buddhist monks begin their day chant, doing a chant of gratitude every day. And of course, you don't have to be a monastic to do that. You could, any of us could just appreciate, wake up and be grateful to wake up. Because as we know, one day we won't wake up. In the Tibetan tradition, the nuns and monks, they give prayers of gratitude for the suffering they've been given prayers of gratitude for the suffering they've been given. <clears throat> and the, here's like an, a translation. Grant that I might have enough suffering to awaken in the deepest possible compassion and wisdom. Right? Now that's a different relationship to suffering than we usually have. Because most of us, you know, for many good reasons, we want to be done with it. And there's good reasons to want to be free from suffering, but they're also pointing at a whole nother level of what's possible, that it's this human life that wakes us up. And dukkha is part of human life. It's not a mistake. You're not doing it wrong if there's dukkha. It's really one of the great teachings of the Buddha, in my opinion. And of course, it's not just limited to Buddhism. Native American elders begin ceremonies with grateful prayers to Mother Earth, to Father Sky, to the Four Directions, to the animal, mineral, plant, brothers, sisters, right? Acknowledging, oh, it's all given, right? Meaning life and the sky and the earth and the minerals and the plants. I mean, where does it all come from? Right? Where does the whole show come from? It's, again, my language, it's just wild that anything is here. We, we, a little bit, we take things for granted. And hopefully, one of the things uh, practice does, especially retreat practice, is it wakes us up a little and, and starts to wake us up out of taking things for granted as if that's the way it is and that's the way it's going to be and that's the way it should be instead of appreciating like it's all given 
all of reality is given. And it doesn't mean we have to be happy all the time or love it all the time. One of my favorite teachers is Ryokan, who is a Japanese monk, who had a big, had and has a big impact on my life, Ryokan. And, and you read his poetry and it's just so interesting. He's so free and so ordinary at the same time. He's so human. He's a real human being. And so here's, here's a few poems. Actually, there's, he, he falls in love with a nun late in his life. And they don't, they don't um, they're not physical, but they fall in love. And you read their poems, it's beautiful, back and forth. And so late in their lives, says, here's three poems from Rio Khan. He says, when, when I sighed, the one I longed for has finally come. With her now, I have all I need, right? So she comes to visit him in his hut. And she said, she said, we monastics are said to overcome the realm of life and death. Yet I cannot bear the sorrow of our parting. And so you hear the humanness, total humanness and beauty and heartfulness and love and care. And then he writes back, he says, everywhere you look, the crimson leaves scatter one by one, front and back. You know, there's also no holding on, even though they love each other and miss each other and feel, you know, as he says, the, the one I longed for has finally come. With her now I have all I need. And grateful for all of it. And it doesn't mean they stay together forever and it's always perfect. It's not. You know, he, he dies and she grieves and it's life and it's given, life is given with all its difficulty, with all its problems, however it came to you, whatever were the pluses and minuses of your parents or your family or your culture or your economics or your society, those are all true and those are all to be respected and cared for, meaning healed as much as possible but also, you're here, which is also, at least for me, just amazing to be here. Hmm. Brother David Stendelrost, who's a, I think, Benedictine monk. Anybody know David Stendel Benedictine? Thank you. He said, look closely and you will find that people are happy because they are grateful. The opposite of gratefulness is just taking everything for granted. And practice is the opposite of that. We're not taking anything for granted. Actually, we're paying attention to the most ordinary things. Sitting, walking, standing, lying down, breathing. You know, of course I could go on and on, eating, 
defecating, urinating, speaking when we're speaking, but we're just paying attention to what's here. And what's here is where reality is. What's magical is right here. And it's funny, I was sitting thinking about the talk and I was thinking a little bit, somebody said something about this. Oh yeah, in, in one of the groups. But I mean, even here, just for a moment, just be aware of yourself. Just be aware of what's here for you. Are you okay in just this moment? And okay means kind of, are you good enough? Right? I don't mean everything's perfect or your life outside here is perfect or whatever. But right now, just for a moment, are you okay? Is anybody not okay? That's maybe the better question. Usually raise your hand if you're not okay for just a moment. Just one moment. Because I'm pointing at something about reality. Reality is just a moment. And most moments were actually okay. And we've been watching our hearts and minds and the kind of ideas and beliefs and projections and um, difficulties we've inherited and how that then tells us what's true. But when we land here, just in this moment, with the rain, and we're in this totally dry room, we're okay for the moment. Believe me, I walked here and it was pouring <laughs> I mean my my pants are wet even I mean this is ridiculous but but I'm okay it's just wet pants <laughs> you know you get older it's the same as young <laughs> uh, uh, hmm. so the the heart, the, the Brahma-vihara of gratefulness, of just stopping and seeing what's here. And it doesn't have to be a lot, and that's part of what's tricky. It's simple. It's just here, and the sound. And we hear, and we take it, we take it for granted that we hear until sometimes some of us may not hear, right? But actually hearing is totally wild. Can you imagine if life didn't have sound? I mean, that, that happens for some people, but that could be how life came to us. Like we could be born and have, not have sound or ears, but we actually have ears. And they mostly work for most of us, you know. As you get older, they get a little, um, they taper. <laughs> they, it's good to have hearing aids. They, they make things a little more fine-tuned. But I, you know, as I said, I was a musician for many years. I just love what human beings make music. Where the hell did that come from? 
I mean, really, come on. Who made that up? People started drumming, probably. You know? Probably the first thing was drums, is what I, I'm just imagining this. I don't know this, you know, factually, but I think I could be right. And of course, singing, right? And I'm like, not a good singer. I don't even, it's like, wow, how do those people do that? Totally amazing that you can take the voice and just radiate beauty. I had, uh, I've had the good fortune to hear a lot of great music and, and spent years listening to a lot of great music, but and I grew up in Detroit, and I grew up, you used to go, one would go downtown during Christmas time at the Fox Theater, would be the Motown Review. And I mean, you know, and this is like in the old days, like I saw little Stevie Wonder when he was little, really, and he was amazing. And you know, the Supremes and the Supremes I have a certain affection for because my brothers went to school with the Supremes. They were just part of the neighborhood, you know, part of the world that we lived in. Diana Ross especially was friends with one of my brothers. And, you know, it's just beautiful that this music comes out of people. And in every culture, every which way, and you know, and I don't care what music I I like. I like a lot of what's called ethnic musics, and I like classical music. It's just Euro ethno music. It's classical music, and it's beautiful what people do. It's it just comes out, and people have done it for centuries, right? Just keep creating music. I mean. Are we not grateful that there's music in the world? I mean, really, whatever music you like, whether it's hip hop or rock or rap or classical or Japanese music or, you know, I played shakuhachi for many years, Japanese bamboo flute, I mean, fantastic music. <laughs> I had the good fortune once to go to South Africa because we were, um, San Francisco Insight was um, close friends with Kitty Sarantanitsa who lived in South Africa and had a retreat center there and we're also supporting different um, uh, groups that were dealing with the AIDS epidemic in South Africa which was horrendous really. And so we were helping fund things for people, and and um, and there was also an orphanage for children who lost their parents because of AIDS that we were helping support. And so, and then there was a new program starting up, and we got invited down to help initiate the new program in South Africa. And I'd never been to South Africa, and it was quite a uh, an education just to go there and learn about South Africa and then go to KwaZulu-Natal where this program was going and we went to the opening which was 
you know, basically a three-day ritual was the opening. And I remember, and, and it was so moving because it was in a very poor, very poor building and outside both. But the music and the singing and dancing, it's just human beings are amazing and beautiful. And especially, I, I keep wanting to tell you this one about this one woman who stood up and started singing. And uh, here's, this is just a really Eugene way of saying this, so I don't mean to offend anybody, but she made Aretha look soulless because she was so amazing. And she just stood, stood still and sang. And, you know, I could cry, really. She was just, I was like, oh my, you know, what is that? Right? It's, uh, except reality singing. And, and, I mean, she didn't move, she didn't dance, she just sang. And it was so moving. I mean, it'll, it stays with me forever. Right? And so just the gratitude to be able to see people everywhere, because I've been in different parts of the world, in Europe and Asia, Africa, people, I mean, it's us. It's all of us, it's people. And people are amazing. And again, I know they're not all great all the time, and I have my complaints, believe me, I'm an aversive type plenty, but, but still, the magic of reality is right here, right here, right here. And it is, it is one of the great blessings of being in this seat is we get to look out at you and we can see it. And you know, we should make everybody sit in this seat for at least one day of their lives and see what it's like to see a group of people who are just sitting and walking. That's all you're doing. I mean, you're, you're not singing that much, you know, so, but, but still, you can see the magic of life from here. And then the, the appreciation that comes with just seeing life alive in all its forms. This is, a, oh, this is from Dogen. Dogen, Zen Master Dogen. When we enter into gratitude, we enter into belonging. It is important to recognize the gift as gift. Trust that it is a gift. That trust establishes the belonging, not taking it for granted, not taking anything for granted. When we recognize the gift of life, of a breath, of the sunset, the moon, the comet, the comet, we enter into belonging. We see the truth of selflessness, of interconnectedness. And of course what's being pointed at is here and everywhere. And it doesn't mean when I give a talk like this, I don't mean, I don't want you to think, oh yeah, I should feel grateful every moment of every day of every year of every, because that's not what it means. It's more a perspective on reality that we start to recognize that everything is given. Life is given. Good and bad, right and wrong, it's all given. Hmm. 
This is from Joko Beck. She was a Zen master. We can think of gratefulness in practice as a recognition of what is already here. That we are that as we are present, aware, open, intimate with ourselves and our environment, we discover that gratitude is part of our experience. Being present is the gateway to gratitude. Being present is the gateway to gratitude, she says. One of the great gifts of this practice is that we do not take anything for granted. We don't know what will happen next and we're grateful with new eyes. And really it's echoed in so many different parts of Buddhist practice. The heart of, this is Thich Nhat Hanh who said, the heart of Buddhist practice is to generate our own presence in such a way that we can touch deeply the life that is here and available in each moment. We have to be here for ourselves. We have to be here for the people we love. We have to be here for life and for all its wonders. There's a lot of beautiful things to say about gratitude. This is from E. E. Cummings, poet. I think he was American, wasn't he? You know? Yeah, E. E. Cummings. He says, I thank you, God. I thank you, God for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees, and for the blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I, who have died, am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday day of life and love and wings and of the gay great happening illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the no of all nothing, human merely being doubt, unimaginable you. I'm going to read that again. It's too good to not read again. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any, lifted from the no, N-O, from the no of all nothing, no thing, human merely being, doubt, unimaginable you. It's a capital Y on the U. Right. Now the ears of my ears are awake and the eyes of my eyes are open. David Stendel Rost, 
He said, as we learn to give thanks for all of life and death, as we learn to give thanks for all of life and death, for all of this given world of ours, we find a deep joy. It is the joy of trust, the joy of faith, in the faithfulness at the heart of all things. It is the joy of gratefulness in touch with the fullness of life. And when you reflect on gratefulness, you can consider what are you grateful for. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be little things. You know, after my accident, uh, I didn't ride a bike again for quite a while, a long time. But I would walk and I lived next near Golden Gate Park, so I would walk in the park. And I never, um, I'm, a, I'm kind of a city guy, so I was not a big nature guy. But I learned, I didn't learn, it just happened. Like there was something about the plants and trees and the nature and walking in it that I felt so grateful for. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm grateful for it because it's good or it's this. It wasn't cognitive. It was for the presence of nature that I was grateful for, for the beingness of the world that I was grateful for, that I appreciated. Hmm. Very simple. Here, you want to help me with the talk for a second? Here, I've got a lot of nice things. I could stop. I'm going to give you three choices. I could stop now, or I could read you a beautiful understanding of Buddhism about what's here, or I could read you a poem from W.S. Merwin. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, slow down. How many people would like me to stop? Raise your hand. Oh, thank you. That's nice of you. <laughs> I'm the only one. <laughs> How many people would like the Buddhist thing? And it's pretty great. Okay, let's see. Okay. And how many people would like the Merwin poem? It's close. It's long. It's a long poem. It's a full-page poem. About both. both. Let's start. Let's start with the the Buddhist. We'll do that, and then we'll see. You know, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> so this is from Hakuen, one of the great great Zen teachers, and he's talking about you, us, all of us. He's. He's giving a teaching for us. He says, all beings, all beings by nature are Buddha. All beings by nature are Buddha. 
as ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there is no ice. Apart from beings, there is no Buddha. How sad people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Okay, I want that to land here, right? Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Much more those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature, self-nature that is no nature, go far beyond mere doctrine. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly, is anything missing right now? Nirvana is right here before our eyes. This very place, the lotus land. This very body, the Buddha. I think that's a good place to stop the talk. So let's sit for a minute, please. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly, is anything missing right now? Nirvana is right here before our eyes. This very place, the lotus land. This very body, the Buddha. some time for walking practice and I just to be clear we can walk in the foyer now because of the rain or downstairs or we can walk in the in the dorms in the hallway